Good morning. Uh, my name is Philip Pearson, um, and for the first, last, and only time will I say I'm a future staff member here at St. Peter's, and I'm super excited to join us on this journey over the next several years. It was not the plan that I was going to get the job and then preach, um, or at least it wasn't to me, as I was terrified writing this sermon for several weeks thinking I might not get the job and then still preach this week, but here we are. Um, and as you'll notice, the text was very long today. Uh, with Lloyd being out last week or two weeks ago, we extended my passage, um, my sermon extended only a little bit, um, but we'll see how long it takes. But if you would join me in prayer. Father God, I first ask that we have the eyes and ears of children, that we don't try to be wiser than we ought, but instead that we open ourselves to learn and to listen. I ask that you speak through me in these words and that we together discover your kingdom um, that was established in Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection and is still moving forward here in Vancouver, Lord. Give thanks for all these things in your name. Whew. Well, um, it's also been a year since I've preached and the last time I preached I was just staring into a camera so if I forget to look at you, uh, please forgive me. I am more nervous than I've been in quite some time. Uh, a few weeks ago I was hiking with uh, my friend Amelia and some of her roommates. We were doing the West Coast Trail which is a seven day, 75 kilometer backcountry grueling hike through the woods that people should not do. It is a bad idea, it is extremely fun, but the whole time I was like, why did I say yes to doing this? And we were hiking with uh, three other girls on this trip. Um, the three girls weren't Christians, and as we were hiking, of course, you run out of things to talk about, or you find things to talk about, so we were talking about Christianity and, and faith and religion. And those three girls hadn't had a great experience with church and had a lot of hurt and frustration from it. And at one point during this conversation, the one girl said essentially something like this. She said, I just don't get why Christians feel the need to force their faith and beliefs, and beliefs on other people. Like, it's cool that you have a different belief, but stop trying to force it down my throat. If you, if you were really smart, you would just keep it all to yourself so you would have more of it. This, of course, made a very awkward part of our day three of our seven-day hike. Um, as Amelia and I, as Christians, tried to give a defense and, and an apology of, of why this is, but very quickly walls were up and there was no use in, in trying to continue the conversation in that way. And we may ask ourselves, or but the thing is, this girl's frustration probably is not a surprise to many of us. I think it very accurately paints the response of most non-Christians today, and if we're honest, it probably paints the response of many Christians today. We may ask ourselves, why do Christians feel the need to share their faith? Am I, as a Christian, Christian supposed to share my faith? Can't I just leave it to missionaries or pastors or priests or those that have studied it and have high education in it? And maybe if I'm supposed to do it, how do I do it without offending people, which is always a challenge. As a community, for the past number, for the past year, year and a half, we've been jumping in and out of the book of Luke, and I want to use this text that we're in today, the sending of the 72, as our guide for this conversation. How do we share our faith? Are we supposed to do it? And I want to ask a couple questions. Am I you and me, supposed to share our faith with other people, and why? How are we supposed to share it? 
what is the message we are sharing? And I want to end with a question of what is the thing that gives us motivation for sharing our faith? And there'll be a sidestep on power, violence, and um, Jesus' woes along the way. But does that sound okay? We're in? Amazing. So, are we supposed to share our faith with others? Let's dive back into the first part of the text really quick. Um, it will help answer this question. Luke 10, verse 1 to 4 says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him two by two to every town and place he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, if you've been tracking through the book of Luke, uh, you may be experiencing slight deja vu because in chapter 9, there is almost the exact same story, except instead of 12 disciples, there's now 72. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out 12 ahead of him just to these other towns like he's doing now, and he says, drive out demons, cure diseases, preach the kingdom of God, and heal the sick. And then he gives them almost the same instructions. When you enter a house, uh, enter a house if they invite you in, shake off the dust of your feet if you're rejected. The language in these stories is so similar, so we have to ask ourselves, first of all, why did Jesus do the same thing again, but send 72 instead of 12? And why does Luke feel the need to include the story? And I would say they're both doing something very interesting and unique because Luke starts off with Mary receiving a vision from an angel or speaking with an angel and the angel telling him that, um, and the angel telling him, her, the, the angel telling Mary that she will bear a son and that he will establish the kingdom of God forever and that he will be a blessing to all nations. And then Jesus, in his very first public declaration, says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Luke is paving this road for us, you could say. First, Jesus is anointed. Then he appoints 12, and then he appoints 72 with almost the same mission. The circle is widening. And we may first think to ourselves, great, this is wonderful. Only the anointed and appointed need to share this message. But that is not what Luke is trying to say. When you're reading the Bible, it's often important to ask the question, why is it this number instead of, a instead of another number? Because numbers are very important in the Bible, and it's not that they're mysterious or magical have, or have some hidden code underneath the text. Simply, when you see a number, you have to ask, why is it this number? And has this number come up before anywhere else? Because when we think about the biblical writers, we often think about them first more as historians than as songwriters. But whenever you read the Bible, I want you to ask this question, what song is this biblical writer trying to write? Because though they are trying to write facts, they're also trying to play with history, with stories, in order to point us somewhere. And Luke is an incredible songwriter, and I might say he is even on the level of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Okay, so you guys know who Lin is? Perfect. I'm going to be quoting Lin 
probably for the next five years because Lin-Manuel Miranda is a musical genius. He is an incredible songwriter, and he, like biblical authors, likes playing with motifs, numbers, and turns of phrases. Um, one of the instances, for instance, is in the Broadway musical Hamilton. Uh, Lin keeps using the phrase, my shot. It comes up a total of 55 times throughout the entire Broadway musical. And each time, it keeps connecting in some way to the previous time it's used. And it all leads up to the very final use of my shot. Because in earlier in the, the musical, Hamilton keeps saying, I'm not going to throw away my shot. I'm not going to waste this opportunity. I'm going to take every single chance I have. But spoiler alert, at the very end of the play, Hamilton raises his pistol to the sky, and he throws away his shot. And this is often what biblical writers are doing. And I'm totally confusing you for a moment, so let me understand what we're trying to say. Why is it the number 72? Well, Luke is doing a huge deep cut here. 72 is a reference to the Greek version of Genesis 10 um, in the Septuagint. And the reason that's important is in Genesis 10 in the Septuagint, it lists 72 nations after Noah. It's called the Table of Nations, and it tallies up a total of 72 nations that are in the world. And what Luke and Jesus are doing is this subtle, interesting play. They're saying, first, Jesus is sent. Then, 12 are sent. And 12 is, of course, a reference to the 12 tribes of Israel. And then, 72 are sent. All nations of the world, you could say. And Timothy Keller, when he preaches on this, he says, we might first think we're we are in the clear if we only had Luke 9. But Luke 10 puts 72. And what Luke is doing is he's reaching beyond the page, beyond the story, and inviting us into the table of nations, inviting us into the number. Throughout the whole New Testament, we see again and again that to be a Christian like Christ is to be a sent one. It's to be included in that number. So Jesus is sending out 72 random people at that moment, but in doing so, he's inviting all of us to also be sent out, to be carriers of good news, to pave the way that Jesus, and his king, that Jesus is bringing, to be heralds of a message. So are Christians meant to share their faith? I think you probably know that I was always getting here. Yes, we are supposed to share our faith and we're supposed to share our faith because Jesus is sending us. But what is the message we're meant to share? Let's jump back for a moment into the text. In verse 8, it says this, When you enter a town and are welcomed there, eat what is offered you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, most of the time when we think about sharing our faith with other people, we probably think, I'm supposed to share the gospel with them, right? I'm supposed to teach them about the death and resurrection of, the, of Jesus. And that's true. That is what we're meant to do, is we're supposed to share the gospel, the good news. But Luke, again, is doing something so interesting and unique. In Matthew, the book ends with the Great Commission. Jesus has died and resurrected. His mission has come to completion. And then he goes and sends everyone else. But Luke doesn't have a commission at the end. He has this story right in the middle, before Jesus has died or resurrected, and instead he's sending them with a slightly different mission. The kingdom of God has come near. He says, the 
The kingdom of God, God's kingdom of grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, hope, peace, joy, restoration, healing is near. In Jesus, heaven and earth meet and heaven begins to spread out from him. The realm of God is bursting forth in your midst. And it is a kingdom that is antithetical to all kingdoms of the world, kingdoms that enslave, promote violence, death, destruction, kingdoms that manipulate, coerce, and only seek their own glory and power. What Luke is trying to say to us when we are meant to be sent once is we are bringing a message, God has become king. And the king, the kingdom is moving forth right where we are, and we get to be carriers of it. And when we share our faith with others, we're not saying, here are all the things you need to do. Here is all the ways that you need to become. We're not bringing out lists of rules. Instead, we're bringing news, a new kingdom, completely different than the one we know is coming here. We bring news of our experience with it, that God has loved this world so much that he came in to heal it. He wants to heal our hurt and broken. He wants to make this place his home. And we share our experience with how this kingdom is shaping our lives, shaping the world around us, not simply something far off, but a new life beginning here and now. And the thing that most people are often frustrated with by Christians is not always our message, though that is often the case, but it's how we share our faith. So often the delivery of our faith is not always the best, as we've seen. And when Jesus sends out these 72, he does not simply say, spread by any means necessary. He says, spread the message, the kingdom, while also living out the values of the kingdom front and center. Jesus gives several clear instructions, and I had to really shrink this down, so we're going to run through this for the sake of time. Jesus gives several clear instructions for how these 72 are meant to go. So I'm going to read part of this, and then we'll run through and add some thoughts. But the biggest part here is I hope that as a community, we keep these conversations front and center. How do we share our message as a community? So after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him, two by two, to every town and place he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. And if not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you are welcome to eat what is offered, Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus gives at least eight instructions here almost around 10 to 11 instructions, really. And I'm just going to highlight eight of them very quickly. So first, Jesus sends people out with this message two by two. The kingdom involves community. We're not meant to go it alone. There is safety in numbers, you could say. 
You'll find support and joy with other people, and on your own, you'll burn out. You need a partner. You need someone that will encourage and support you and sometimes call you out when you say things that you shouldn't. I know throughout my life, I've had so many friends that as I've tried to share my faith, have often encouraged me and have done it, and other times rebuked me for how I had communicated. The second part is this. Ask the Lord for workers. Prayer is vital to the mission of God. Others are meant to join along the way, and prayer is central to God showing us where to harvest, and also that God is inviting us to be answers to our prayers. He's not simply saying, pray for workers and don't go. First, he sends you out and then asks you to continue to pray. Pray is what drives us. I had an experience at work. I've been working at Cactus for the past six years, and I had stalled out in this place where I was like, I'm not sure what to do. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And I was really struggling with talking about my faith with other people. And so my wife and I just began praying every few days, just I want to be able to share my faith where I am. And then miraculously, randomly, people just started asking me about my faith again. People started sharing their hurts, their pains, their frustrations, their anxieties, and I just got to sit with them. And I would say, can I pray with you right now? I know you're not a Christian, but it would be meaningful to you. And I got to experience that again and again. And this third one, I always love this one, lambs among wolves. If Jesus was really trying to be a good hype man, he would not say this. Jesus instead would say something like, remember, I'm sending you out as bears among wolves. If someone attacks you, fight back because you're going to win. Use just as much violence and force as them. You're going to defeat them. But he doesn't. Violence is not part of the kingdom. Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs, helpless, weak, defenseless lambs that aren't violent, that don't fight back. They need each other and they need a shepherd to guide them because violence and retaliation have no place in this kingdom. And that can be a challenge for us because we want to fight. We want to prove people wrong. We want to go against them with power. But Jesus says, no, they're lambs. And that one I just keep trying to wrestle with. What does it look like to be a lamb among wolves? And then he says, take no purse, no bag, no sandals. What's this? It's an act of trust and an act of assurance that God will provide for us on the way. It's a hurry. Don't let anything get in your way. Be intentional. Go do it. Don't say you have to go get all these other things. Just try to find ways to preach this message. The kingdom of God is near. It's a reliance on the generosity of God through strangers. And then this one, uh, greet no one on the road. At first, this may seem super rude. And actually, for those of us in Vancouver, this is probably a great badge of honor. We're already doing this. God told me to not greet anyone on the road. I got my AirPods in in noise-canceling mode. No one can talk to me. Wonderful. But if you're wanting to share your faith, it requires being intentional and not being distracted. Not always being gossiping on the road, but saying, these are people that I want to share my faith with, that I want to share that God's kingdom is near. And then lead with peace. When you go to a house, say, peace be on this house. And if they are peaceful, your peace will return to you. If a town or city is peaceful, stop there. 
But if not, move on. Because God's kingdom is one of peace. It is already being paved. We're not going in like an occupying army, but a peaceful protest in your midst. And then this one is strange. Even the dust of your town, we wipe off, your, we wipe off our feet. In ancient Israel, there was this concept that a, a student would follow so closely behind their rabbi that the dust would kick up on them and cover them, and they would be shaped by the dust that would cover them. But so instead, they say, even the dust on the bottom of our feet, we wipe off. We won't let your culture overtake us. And that's such a danger today. It's so easy to be overtaken by the culture, but it's, it's saying if the violence, if peace, if lack of love is there, do not let it corrupt you. Do not be shaped by it. Do not be formed by it. Get even the trace of it off of you. We won't be formed by you. And this final one I'm just going to highlight. There's more, and I wish I had more time to talk, but I want to be respectful of time. Yet be sure of this. Notice this, even when they're rejected, the kingdom, the message stays the same. The kingdom of God has come near. The world has turned upside down. Everything is changing. But the implication is this, you missed it. It was right in your midst. It lingers in the air, but you're rejecting it. And this one to me is big because I am someone that loves commitment. I don't want to give up. I just keep on going. And as I was a, when I was a kid and I was younger in high school and I would share my faith, I just would be relentless with sharing it with other people. And then I'd be like, they don't want to hear it right now. And it's almost a permission to move forward sometimes, to keep on going, knowing that we've given the message we needed. Much like the sower, we've thrown the seeds and it might grow up in some places and it might not. It's a permission to say, it's not your job to make sure these people take the message. It's on God. It's on God to soften hearts. It's on God to water the message. It's just simply on you to always preach the same message. God's kingdom has come. In Jesus, the king has arrived, but you haven't seen it yet. To Jesus, how we spread the message of the kingdom is as important as the message itself. It is a representation of the kingdom. The ends do not justify the means in the kingdom of God. The means are so important for how the kingdom spreads. And I'm going to come back to that idea a little bit later. So how, does, how do we share our faith today? Well, I would just say this. Power, force, coercion, manipulation, false representation, violence have no place in the kingdom of God. They have no place in how we share our faith because they have no place with God. And what frustrates me so much is when I see the gospel and the message paired with those things. It corrupts the message every time. We lead this kingdom with peace, love, grace, and mercy, just like Jesus does. And I want to take a, talk about motivation in just one second, but there is, of course, this glaring middle part of the passage. Jesus says to you, Woe to you, Chorazin! 
Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you were performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ash. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades. For many of us, these words are shocking and jarring. Whoa, Jesus, no need to get all angry and uptight. Won't need to be so, no need to be so angry. But woe is not a curse. Jesus is not angry. It's a cry of distress and sorrow. Jesus is not cursing these places. He's crying out for them. His heart is in distress for them because he and his followers are bringing the news of a radical kingdom. They show the effects. The blind are being given sight. The sick are being healed. The deaf can hear. Peace is being brought. Miracle upon miracle. But these cities reject the message of the kingdom altogether. They want no part of it. They want the world as it is. They want power for themselves. And I would say this, though judgment is coming these mer and these words may be jarring for us, I don't think they actually should surprise us. Because what happens to any kingdom or city or nation or tribe that continually rejects peace? Sooner or later, violence will come to them. We've seen it again and again throughout history. And Jesus is trying to offer a better way for them, a better way for us, but they refuse. And so he cries out. The same things that happen to every tribe and nation that rejects the way of peace will happen to you when the kingdom fully comes. Because you saw what a kingdom of peace could look like. You saw the kingdom of heaven right where you are, and you rejected it. You pushed it out. And I know there's so much more to that, but I want to end with this final part. What is the thing that will give us motivation to share this message? Because right now, Jesus sending us out gives us duty, but it may not be the thing that gives us lasting motivation. And it comes in a very surprising way. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you notice what happened there? It's subtle. The 72 return, we're not sure how much later, days, weeks, months, hours, we literally hear nothing about their mission. They suddenly come back and they say one thing and they're so joyous about it. They say, even the demons submit to us. And at first we think, amazing, this is incredible, they're so successful. But the Bible is clever because it, it likes omission. The writers are always clever at leaving things out. What do they not say? They don't say, Jesus, we spread the word of your kingdom and everyone responded well. They repented of their ways of violence and are waiting with anticipation of the coming kingdom. We are accepted in homes with joy and celebration. We led with peace. We healed the sick and the blind. We set captives free. None of that. 
one thing. They're joyous about one thing. Demons submit to them. They're joyous about power. Now, what they're doing is a good thing, right? Throughout the book of Luke, demons are forces of oppression and enslavement and harm. And the sent ones are doing good work. But Jesus' response points to their hearts. He senses an underlying motivation. Jesus' name has become a weapon for them, a tool to force submission. And I mean, does that sound familiar? One of the biggest problems that people would have with Christians today is that so many seem power hungry. The Bible is our sword or club for our worldview. Scripture is the way that we seek to force others into submission. Jesus' name has become the banner of the oppressor, not the oppressed. And Jesus instantly sees this in his followers. He sees the enticement in their heart. And so he replies with this wild statement. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. No further context. He just says it. And you don't know if he means a thousand years ago or in that moment or in the future. But in any way, what most commentators say is at the very least, it means Satan loses. The forces of darkness, of enemy, of pain, of death, they will lose in the end. They will fall or they have fallen in Jesus' death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. And the, saint one, the sent ones will have strength and power and protection in Jesus. Satan will be defeated. But power is never the thing we rejoice about in the kingdom. What do we celebrate instead? We celebrate our inclusion. Do not rejoice that spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What does it mean to have your name written in heaven? It means this. You're a citizen. You're not a visitor. It's not permanent residency. You're a citizen. Your name is written in stone upon the walls of heaven. It means we reap the benefits of that kingdom. We taste, touch, and see that future grace here and now. And it's a citizenship that overwrites all other citizenships. We're not first a Canadian, or a Vancouverite, or someone from Kitts. We're a kingdom, we're part of the kingdom of heaven. Our home is in God. The Christian faith holds this belief in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that these three are one in God. They are God. And through them, love moves continually from one to the other. And to be a citizen of the kingdom means to almost be invited into that trinity to give and receive love just like the Father, Son, and Spirit do. And so how does this relate back to the question of why we share our faith? Well, the big question of why we share our faith is what drives us. Do we share our faith because we're forced to? Do we share our faith because we're trying to force other people into submission under us? Or force them to be like us? No. What motivates us is our experience in the inclusion of the kingdom. When we truly taste, touch, feel, and experience it, we simply cannot contain the joy, and it should spill out from us 
naturally. What motivates us is the joy of being included in the kingdom. Six years ago, I was on a vacation um, to a cabin with some friends in northern Ontario. And while we were driving up, we stopped at Starbucks and a Chapters to pick up some books. And I was walking through the shelves, and I saw something on the shelf that would change my life. The starter set of Dungeons & Dragons. I had never played D&D before. I'd only seen it on TV in community, and I was curious, so I picked it up. I started looking at it, and I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to read through all the books right now, and then tonight I'm going to force my friends to play with me. And luckily, they agreed to this insane ask, and I set about, I read through all the books that afternoon, and we sat down that night to play D&D for the first time, and it was incredible. I was snake bit because it was such a joy, this incredible bonding experience. We laughed, we cheered, we gasped. And then for six years, I keep telling people about this game. You've got to come over to my house and play. You'll have so much fun, I promise. I feel the joy and inclusion at the table. And it's the same thing with faith, but even more so. Though I may call myself a nerd, first, I'm a son of God. First, I'm included. That is the motivation. It's not simply a sense of duty, it's a sense of joy, of God knowing my name, never the power it brings. The pursuit of power has no place in the kingdom. If power is the thing that motivates us, it will ultimately corrupt our message, but our motivation for sharing faith is experiencing the love of God's kingdom here. So to the girl that I had that conversation with on the West Coast Trail. Why do Christians feel the need to share their faith? I would say this. There are many that share their faith because they're trying to make the world in their image. It's no lie. We see it happen all the time. And I'm sorry that you've been hurt by that. But my hope is that you get a glimpse of God's kingdom in me because I am bringing the message that Jesus sent me with. I hope that you can truly experience God's kingdom here and now, seeing how the world has turned upside down. And for us in this room, we may not have felt that joy at all or in some time. And so I would say this, pray for workers. Pray to be part of the harvest. Pray to experience your name being written in heaven in stone, in God's heart. I hope that through this week, through this month, that you can experience that joy either for the first time or all over again. And then as you experience it, that it overflows from you and bleeds into everyone else around you and that they see that real joy. There are many times in my life where I have gone through seasons where I have not felt that. But I keep on praying now, God, show me my name written in heaven.